0: Again? Sure. We're home. I bypassed the compressor.
1: You were the chosen
0: one! Something
1: truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am
2: no Jedi. <laughs>
1: The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. First is the man who probably wishes he was in another galaxy right now.
2: It's... Uh, I think that's going to be me, isn't it? It's
1: going to be you. Yes, yes.
2: Yep. Hey, it's Drew. How are you, Brandon?
1: I am great. I am great. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to talk about what we're talking about tonight, and I'm excited to have our other co-host. He is the man with the sass of K2 and the body of Hu-Yang. It's... It's Devor. Oh, wow. Yeah, I went went hard on that one. Sorry
2: apologize for nothing. What are you talking about? <laughs>
1: no,
0: no, it's great.
2: <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, where do you put Hu Yang at?
1: I mean, I really loved Hu Yang. Ooh.
2: Me like, too. He, okay. Honestly, like, I think Hu Yang
1: is the television version of K2SO. You know how, like, when when Star Wars, you know, came out, people just started making a whole bunch of, like, science fiction TV shows. It's like Hu Yang is not the knockoff, but just, like, the light version of of uh, the K-2SO. edited for TV edition, exactly, exactly. Nice. I uh, so I had to go get, get uh, my oil change today, and they had Liar Liar on the TV. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was. Yeah, VH1 has <laughs> great programming.
2: <laughs> VH1, that's still a station.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess oh so. Uh, but yeah, it was edited for TV. Not as funny. There's a lot of stuff they can't say on TV <laughs> that makes that movie funny. But anyways. Not important. Uh, Tonight, guys, we are uh, rounding out our coverage of the Ahsoka series, and uh, we're going to be doing our best in butts, which is going to be a lot of fun. I know Drew is really looking forward to this. Uh, He hasn't stopped talking about it since... uh, (laughs)
2: since,
1: since (laughs) I can't even get get through it. I can't even get through it. Um, But before we jump into that, uh, if you are new here, welcome. Uh, You are already in the craziness, and uh, it doesn't change. It doesn't go away, but we also do some nope. serious discussions here, which I'm sure we'll we'll have that as well tonight. But uh, we also do a nonprofit, uh, which is Great English from your English teacher. We do a nonprofit. <laughs> um, I'm really selling hard right now, guys. I'm really selling hard. I'm in peak form and condition. You're doing great. I appreciate the moral support. Uh, even though your fingers are probably crossed.
2: but <laughs> Only only look forward, never look back. Never look back.
1: Uh, <laughs> we, we have a nonprofit where we put Star Wars books into schools uh, across the country. So if you are able to support us in doing that, go over to patreon.com slash Sabers, And uh, 100% of the money that you donate goes to buying and shipping books to students. And uh, if you're a teacher, if you know a teacher, if you've had a teacher... If you can uh, find your local elementary, middle, or high school and go ask to randomly uh, select a teacher, please go over to our website, uh, clashingsaversnet and nominate a teacher so we can send books to them uh, because the world is crazy right now and kids need books in their hand that they want to read. And uh, I can tell you one thing from my classroom experience that kids get excited about new books and kids get excited about Star Wars books. So we kind of combine those two things together and hopefully uh, create some lifelong readers. So if you're able to, it would be greatly appreciated if you could go over and do that. Uh, So that said, guys, I I did want to talk because, you know. We've been talking about we talked about rebels before ahsoka we've been talking about ahsoka for a few weeks because uh just it's been the thing that's out uh, especially with the the strikes that have been going on and everything mm. uh content has been mm-hmm. has been limited uh we are getting back into the high republic and everything like that but I felt like, you know, we, we've got some time until Skeleton Crew comes out. We, we don't have a date on Mandalorian Season 4. So with this Ahsoka series coming out, it kind of feels like this is a a turning point, a pivot point, a fulcrum, if you will, uh, in what we're doing with Star Wars television. I feel like they, they know what they want to do with it now. And I just kind of wanted to take a minute to look back and just... Kind of get y'all's opinions on what they've done with Star Wars TV so far. Uh, What do you you think is working? What's not working? Not necessarily a ranking, but kind of where Ahsoka fits into your pantheon of of Star Wars shows. So, Devor, do with that what you will.
0: All right. Uh, I'm going to try to figure out because a lot of what you're saying in terms of where Ahsoka fits in the Pantheon will come up in my butts. So I have a lot to say in my butts about the state of star Wars TV. Um, so, but I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to yield to drew here and maybe like go off of what he says or what you Brandon, say. Cause again, like I said, like I have thoughts, but a lot of them I'm saving for the main course.
2: Uh, yes. me, a notorious fan of the way things are going. um, I think that there have been a lot of hits and there have been some we'll call them questions just be like yeah you sure about that that's how we're gonna do it um because starting off well let's kind of recap where where we've come from right we're we're, we're considering just kind of like the Disney era of things we starting with Mandalorian and we got two years of that back-to-back roughly well there wasn't anything in between those two was there no. no, I don't think so. There was so then we have the book of Boba Fett. We had Mandalorian season three. We have Ahsoka. But in the meantime, we also had things like the two seasons of Visions. We've had the the Young High Republic. What's it called? Young Jedi Adventures. Young. There you go. See, you you knew what I was talking about. Up for five children and family Emmy awards. I understand and deserving of every
1: single one of them. Fantastic. Sure, show.
2: sounds great. Uh, then we had. Tales of the Jedi, Mm -hmm. which you're welcome. I actually said it out loud, and was has that been it? Is that Uh, you missed Obi Wan, Obi Wan, and and Bad Batch, and Bad Bad Batch. Batch. Okay, so quite a variety of different things, right? We've kind of got several different eras we've addressed in several different formats. We've got a couple different animation styles, and definitely some variants in the live action stylism as well. So, if we're going to kind of look at it as a whole, I think Star Wars is best, at least in, in my view of things, it is best when it takes risks and tries mm. new things. Yeah. So, Visions, to me, was a light in the darkness. Even Season 2, which I think wasn't as strong collectively, had some of the best storytelling we've seen in years in things like Screechers Reach. mm mm-hmm. um, And, you know, the other one that I liked that I can't remember. Surely there was one other one that I liked, right? Um, But, like, the first season of Visions was absolutely uh, groundbreaking, I think, and really opened up a wide range of possibilities that weren't limited to let's stick within the timeline that we're talking about. And I think that's a good thing for them to be doing. Um, Now, when we look at the timeline stories those which have defined places in relationship to pre-existing stories, whether it be books, film, or other shows amongst themselves, like, you know, Bad Batch seasons one and two or Obi, or, uh, um, Mandalorian one, two, and three with book of Boba Fett kind of breaking up in the middle there. And even now Ahsoka kind of following on the heels of we're presuming follows right on the heels of Mandalorian season three, cause we don't have any reason to otherwise. I think that's where we're struggling. And I don't know if it has to do with the overall vision for that storyline and how that's kind of been the main focus for so long. Um, Kind of with an advent of the new way in which Disney is distributing its material through Disney Plus, right? We see this kind of in the same thing as the Marvel vein. When we started off with like WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, we're like, okay, these are interesting stories that I can feel like I get the sense that these could have been movie scripts, but were changed into this new format in order to provide some new content to drive subscribers to the tool. Like, there's no way for me to separate out the content and the stories that we get from the mechanism by which it's delivered, because of the way in which it's all kind of tied together. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. It's why we got movies in 1977, 1980, 1983, the way that they were. And that's okay. That's not the inherent problem. I think the problem has come where now we're stretching things out. And now we're kind of, we're building out this particular timeline in this this storytelling format. And that is, it's kind of, I feel that it's struggling. And... Now we we've kind of learned at the last celebration back in April that their intention is to tie it all back up together with a new movie kind of solving, not solving, but resolving the this particular line of storytelling of the post return of the Jedi, rise of the new republic, um, final fatal crumblings of the empire storyline. And to which we kind of imagine, you know, if we just kind of game it out, nobody thinks Thrawn is gonna really win. In that particular film, right? We don't see him leading the first order. <laughs> so yeah, somewhere between where we are in the storyline now and the battle, you know, the, uh, the battle of Starkiller Base, he doesn't go. Things don't go well for our boy in blue. So that seems like kind of a natural conclusion. I don't know if it's just the ability to see through the story to the eventual conclusion, which is disheartening. Um, but maybe that combined with just and it's it's you know what we've talked about every single one of these episodes has been a recap episodes of the of the shows that we've been watching is the flatness is just kind of the cold disengagement that the shows have been have left at least me feeling Um, and I know that's just one small voice in a cacophony of sounds out there but still I think Devor you even said it last time is like this show is just so stale like it just doesn't feel like we're doing much Within the context of the storyline, so I don't know if that's just the novelty is wearing off, or has worn off, or if there was a struggle in this in the Soka show particularly that made it so much more egregious than the other ones. Because I thought Mandalorian season three was great. Well, that was fun. It was fun. Um, I loved Book of Boba Fett because it was fun didn't have to be the most serious or groundbreaking thing. And, you know, seasons one and two of Mandalorian, I think, are just top tier. Like, it's going to be hard to beat season two of that show. But I don't think that should be the goal. The goal should be to continue to tell a worthy story. You know, something worth telling. And I, I just don't know maybe where we are in that process and what we should expect of the next couple entries. Because, Brandon, you mentioned Skeleton Crew, which I had plum forgotten about. Like, I still don't know if that's a real show or not.
1: Yeah, I, I forget about it all the time.
2: Yeah, but we also have The Acolyte coming out, which is more High Republic era. But is Skeleton Crew kind of like the, the last thing before the film? Are we expecting any more man Like, do we know for a fact Mando season four is a thing?
0: Yes. I don't. We do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, because Favreau says he's written it.
2: Well, talk to Patty Jenkins about Rogue Squadron. She hadn't written Rogue Squadron
1: though. She had a, a an idea for Rogue Squadron, so uh, we're talking, and and we've got three seasons of Jon Favreau running Star Wars. So it's that's a that's a, not no, a fair a concern comparison. to you. Uh, no, like uh, okay, I I think we we'll, we'll get Mandalorian season four, and I'm trying to remember where they said it, but and this is you know, goes to something that I think we kind of could be concerned about is they made it clear that they don't really have an end point for the Mandalorian. So this Mm. Filoni film, while I feel confident it's happening, I I mean, I don't see it happening before. I mean, with all this stuff that's going on, you got to be looking at
2: 28, 29, like we're we're talking a long, long way away. That's not an unreasonable estimation at the rate, at where we are right now, so that's that's hard to say. Um, I'm trying to think of like if there's anything else that leading up to the that film that we should be expecting. I mean,
1: I think uh, for all intents and purposes, we can assume that there's going to be an Ahsoka season two. I think if we didn't have the strikes, we would have had the announcement. But
2: I oh, think interesting. It, I think it yeah. Would, yeah.
1: I think that's that's causing uh, them to not announce stuff, I think that's a bad look if you're not paying your writers and actors but then saying that you're going to make them work kind of thing. It's it's not a good look.
2: Uh, we have work for you, we promise. Just, just read this contract very, very quickly and pay yeah. no
1: attention to the very, very small print. Exactly, exactly. But I do think, I think one thing you said about the novelty wearing off is, is true. Um, we're getting, and, and this is something with Star Wars, when you get too much Star Wars, it becomes less special. And think about the breaks we got in Star Wars movies and how special it made it when it came back, you know, it's one thing, you know, I hope we don't get another, uh, high Republic type endeavor for a while after phase three is over.
2: Oh, interesting. Like
1: I, I, I'm fine with other, you know, high Republic, you know, act like kind of stuff, but I don't want a whole new thing, you know, that kind of becomes the Mm. focus of the books as a, a fan of the books. Like I, I want to slow down a little bit, go back and revisit yeah. things. You know, that's part of what makes Star Wars fun. So I definitely think there's something to that. I think if you look at the the most successful Star Wars TV that we've gotten, uh, which I would say would be things like Rebels, um, season seven of Clone Wars in particular, not not the whole Forgot thing, but that. season seven of Clone Wars, uh, Andor, and season one and two of Mandalorian. They started with the end in mind. They knew where they were going. And, of course, Andor, we've got to wait on the execution. But, I mean, Season 7 of uh, Clone Wars is fantastic, especially Siege of Mandalore, because they knew what the (laughs) end point was and they built to it. Andor has been insane uh, how good it is. And I think part of that is because they know what the end is. And it's just, okay, let's, let's plan backwards about how we get to this and yeah. Mandalorian season one and two did the same. Whereas three felt a lot more ambiguous and even Ahsoka felt a lot more ambiguous of we're setting these things up and I'm excited to have them set up. And and I think to some extent we have to take a, a pause and, you know, or, or at least put an asterisk on it and say like this, uh, these opinions could change if they do, you know, whatever they do uh at yeah. the end. But, it it does seem like, okay, we're gonna create all this content and do we do we really know where we're going with it, or are we curating content for content's sake? I think there does need to be a little bit more intentionality in in what they're doing. So Devor, do you have thoughts on that? Like of, of not necessarily I know you said you're gonna save a lot of your thoughts on the shows, but just in terms of their approach to storytelling in Star Wars right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, to Drew's point, I think he's right that the shows have been strongest when they've swung for the fences. And I think to that point, I think we're going to be getting possibly in this coming year in 2024, question mark. I think we're going to be getting a really important test about the future of Star Wars TV in the form of the Acolyte, because this is really the first time. On screen, I mean, you have young Jedi adventures, as I like, where we're really going to be venturing outside of the Skywalker saga timeline in a significant way. We're going to be out of this, you know, the bounds of Phantom Menace to rise. And so I think the way that that lands. And whether that gets an audience and how that is received, I think may be huge. Like, I think we may, like, I think the acolyte may almost sort of be like a solo esque moment in the sense of like, it, like, its reception, how it does may dictate the future direction of star wars making like what kind of decisions they make with the shows what kind of concepts they green light or which ones they may potentially avoid depending on in the same way that solo ended up being this really important turning point moment for the kind of movies for like the star wars story brand i think the acolyte could have depending on whether it's you know well received gets a huge audience and lots of ratings and critics love it or like maybe it falls flat like I think, depending on which road we go, I think we'll say a lot about the future of Star Wars TV.
1: I think that's a really good point. That's a really good point. I think, like, I'm not, as much as I love, you know, Ahsoka, and I'm, you know, hopeful we're getting more, I'm also not blind to the realities of it did lose viewers as it went on. And so I think, you know, if we have Acolyte do that, where it has a significant drop off of viewers from episode one to, what I hope is episode 12, but I'll get into that later, but whatever the finale episode of the season is, um, well yeah, it'll definitely be telling. but let's uh, let's put that on the back burner for now. We can talk more about about the future of the shows later and and obviously we'll we'll hopefully get some more once they start you know paying these actors uh, the what they should be paying them because they deserve to learn, you know earn a living wage. Uh, I don't think that's too much to ask when. You're giving your CEOs billion-dollar raises or whatever ridiculous stuff they're doing now, but that is a another conversation for another day. We're gonna go ahead and get into our our best and butts, and uh, we're gonna do two and two tonight since we've done we've done quite a bit on Ahsoka. We wanted to kind of narrow down exactly what our best and butts are for the the season overall. So if you haven't uh, watched Ahsoka uh, and you're somehow here. Uh, This is going to be full spoilers going forward, so just heads up on that. And uh, we did implement a rule that I'm really excited because it's going to kind of cause our list to be a little dynamic where we are not allowed to repeat. So if somebody else has uh, said something, uh, we're not allowed to replicate that. So hopefully... Uh, we have some backups ready to go in case that happens. Or oh no, uh, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty I sure. Need mine, another 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure mine are going to be safe. Uh, Drew and Devore. I'm more going to be interested to see if your lists uh, overlap <laughs> a little bit. So with that in mind, we'll start with the the buts, and these are are the things we didn't like, the things we thought could have been improved, uh, so on and so forth. And, uh, Devor, I'm going to let you go ahead and start with your first, butt number two.
0: So I already teased this a little bit in our opening discussion and the opening discussion actually set me up well for the butts because the, my, my two butts that I'm going to work on are. They're about Ahsoka, but they're sort of situating Ahsoka within particularly the kind of broader Mandoverse. So it's like it's it's issues that I have with Ahsoka, but it's issues that kind of are reflective on this larger constellation of stories, because I sort of I went into Ahsoka as a kind of budding Mandoverse apostate, having been left a little burned by the one-two punch of Book of Boba Fett and season three of Mandalorian. And Ahsoka really didn't do anything to change that, like to kind of redirect course. So, yeah. So with that, my number two butt is what I'm going to be calling Ahsoka's, and by extension, the Mandoverse's Luke Skywalker problem. By this, I do not mean what a lot of people have talked about online, the question of, like, what role is Luke going to play, and should he be recast, or should they do the deep fake? whatever, like, not that. I'm talking about a different kind of Luke Skywalker problem. So what do I mean? So if you think back to Empire Strikes Back, when Luke is on Dagobah, and he meets with Yoda, and, you know, he's getting frustrated and everything, what does Yoda say about Luke? He says, always looking to the future, to the horizon, never his mind on where he was, what he is doing. And I think the latter installments of the Mandoverse shows, but particularly so Ahsoka, have been plagued with this looking to the horizon over Mm -hmm. the here, now, what you're doing. It's why we get some of the storytelling choices that we do. It's why we get, for example, two Din-centered episodes in Book of Boba Fett because we got to set up the reunion to get to Mando season three it's why we get in my opinion a fairly anticlimactic resolution to three seasons of why does gideon and the remnant want grogu that is all wrapped up in about five minutes in you know the season three finale it is dealt with and i think it is why we get a lot of the choices in ahsoka like ahsoka it's a show that like in so many ways it feels like its primary motivation is to move sets of pieces on a board from one configuration to another. It's so we get Ahsoka and Sabine from Prime Galaxy to New Galaxy. We get Thrawn and Ezra from New Galaxy to Prime Galaxy. And we're like setting all of these things up. Like you even see it in the finale where like the final moments of the show are essentially a montage of setups. It's get Ezra back home on the ship with Hera. It's Thrawn on Dathomir. It's Ahsoka and Sabine over here on Peridia. And so, yeah, and I think that comes at times at the expense of the moment. Like, I think, uh, you know, another place where you see that particularly with the story is, as we've talked about, you know, a little bit in our recaps, is like the entire motivation of Balin's skull is not given in the show, and it is instead shunted to the future in lieu of you know, giving you something really meaty. Like, you don't have to, you know, like, you can do setup. That's fine. Like, you can set things up. You can tease things. That's okay. But I think you still have a a main obligation to the here and now. Like, you got to give people something now. And so... I think whether you look at, like, the overall arc of the story that really does feel like it is this kind of transitional piece, whether you look at, for example, some a case like Balin's Skull where, like, his character is not really given a true motivation in this show that is left to be dealt with maybe at some point. I mean, we don't know what they're going to do now with, you know, the, the untimely loss of Ray Stevenson. So, yeah, that's my number two is I think a, a, a lot of these recent shows I think have been – very focused on the future at the expense of really kind of fleshing out and telling the story that they're telling here in the you know in their respective presence.
2: Let me delete some of mine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's a a really good point. Like we we talked about it, you know, as we were going through, but you know, how many times are we gonna say like when this question is answered and when this question is answered, it it gets a tad exhausting at a point, you know, uh, it would be, it it was nice. You know, I, the Marvel comparison is not a one-to-one in any way, shape or form, but it's the, the closest parallel I think we have, uh, okay. to what's going on <laughs> with star Wars. Um, because you know, like Marvel's got the background of comics and star Wars is making these things, you know, as they go along stuff like that. But it was nice in having the, the first phase of Marvel where you knew, okay, End game is is it you know uh, even when it was you know Infinity War Part One and Two okay cool we're leading to this final climactic battle with uh, with Thanos cool like everything builds towards that you you think about the movies in that context and yes we have a, a similar idea with uh, with Thrawn but do we because they haven't really said that that's the thing that's going to to be the the final villain and okay, you're bringing him back in Mando season four. If you know, that's the direction they're heading. Is he going to be out there for an unknown amount of years and they just continue fighting him and fighting him and fighting him until you decide to make this movie. So it, it, it is becoming a, uh, a more serious problem where, you know, we can't keep pushing this stuff off and, and, not accepting the consequences of doing so uh, because they're becoming more and more present. Uh, Drew, are, are you ready to go
2: over year number two? When was the last time we talked about Rangers of the new Republic being discontinued being a major problem for the star Wars universe? Yes. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of this show and Mandalorian season three are trying to pick up the pieces from that. And use ding, ding, them where ding. they can, and I don't think it's working to the advantage of the storytelling. Um, uh-huh. The more I was thinking about Hera, who was a lot of fun in, in this show, she was, well, a lot of fun is a stretch. She was a great piece of the puzzle, right? She played a great mom character to the two fighting siblings, essentially. Uh, and then at a certain point, you didn't hear from her again. And when you really consider the impact that she had once she got ahsoka and Sabine to start talking to each other again, her impact on the show completely vanishes. She's able to get the squadron of X-wings to go with her with her uh, she loses half of them as the eye of Sauron blasts off into the darkness <laughs> then the then they land on the planet, the second map planet of the show and they hunt for ahsoka who is lost they they find her and then plop her in the purgle and then they're off we see her come back in the context of the show but in no way shape and form that affects anything else within the rest of the show we see her brought before this kind of military tribunal slash senate oversight committee where she's kind of slapped around a little bit but then you have 3po ex machina, bringing her salvation, which is was kind of fun. But ultimately, once, once the gang leaves what DeVore has uh, wonderfully dubbed uh, Galaxy Prime, which I think is great, <laughs> she's out of the picture. She's got nothing to do. So I'm really concerned that had it not been for Rangers of the New Republic falling out or falling through, we would never have even seen her character in this show. Which is a little discouraging, because I don't feel like she did anything, either. So I, I feel like there's, there's this weird balance of, hey, we've got this material, we really want to get out there, we really want to start using it to world build, but they're not weaving it in in a way that makes the rest of the story any more compelling. So you gotta ask the question, what are you doing with your time? Because if it's not affecting the real story that we're trying to tell, then get out of the way. If you want to do a solid, here's what's happening in the rest of the galaxy, do that throughout the entire show then. But we gave up on that really, really quick. Kind of like in Mando season three, and it's been a while since I've even watched some of those. But once you have like the Coruscant episode with Dr. Parshing, that's kind of the end of that, isn't it? Yeah, you never see him again. You never see that again. It's not really played a role. Other than, you know, you can kind of allude it to Gideon tying up his loose ends, but to what end? Like, yeah. Because he's then, not concerned yeah. with the Republic knowing. Like, they've been camping out on Mandalore the whole time, guys. So I, I, I think that maybe they had put, maybe they, from a production standpoint, had put so many eggs in the basket of the Rangers of the New Republic being a thing, a, a healthy bridge between the Mandalorian storyline the Jedi storyline of Ahsoka, and then the rest of the New Republic Galaxy storyline, because that really does have one foot in each of those worlds and would have been a solid bridge between them using the rest of the Rebels gang that was never trained in the Force. So I wonder if we're kind of reaping the the, the consequences of those decisions.
1: Yeah, I think Hera's story would in, in Ahsoka in particular would have been best if it, ended once she reunited Sabine and Ahsoka and she just kinda like fades into the background. I don't really think we needed her uh, you know, going and finding them on uh what was the the planet that had the where they looked at the map to Prudy, I'm trying to remember the name of Citos. it. Setos. Like Is I don't Is that the second map planet or the first map planet? That's the second map planet that leads right, to cool, the cool, final cool. map planet. <laughs> One of these days, we're going to talk about maps. Yeah. It's just
2: going to be weird.
1: Honestly, you know, as much as I love Shadow Warrior, I think Hera's role in there is purely just to capture or pick up Ahsoka when you're you're talking about having her die and re, be reborn through a, another dimension. Like, I, I, the world between worlds is weird, right? Like... Let's just call it... It's weird. It's weird Star Wars. Okay. I love weird Star we're, we're, Wars, but it's we're weird. We're going to talk about the world between worlds. Yeah, Don't I, worry. I, I I figured. But you're telling me there's no other way you could have had Ahsoka, you know, come back without Hera picking her up? Like, that really is the only purpose that she serves there. So, I think if How? if Hera's role ended earlier, less is more. You know, it makes it stronger and you're not trying to stretch her to do all of these things that in the end don't really add to our main characters of Sabine and Ahsoka's story.
2: How many different rebirth baptism scenes are there in the Star Wars galaxy? In the cuz we've got where, you know, like you said Shadow Warrior, where uh, Ahsoka is reborn out of the water, you've got Mandalorian in season three, in the literal waters of Mandalore. Then he you have uh a- Pazvisla's son
1: again in that.
2: Yep, yep. You get the literal baptism there. That's
1: is that the beginning of season three? as the end of season three.
2: Oh, is it? Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, Mando himself is at the beginning of season three, and then son oh, is right? at the end. Yeah. I
2: forgot you- about that. Uh oh, so do we we don't consider much out from andor in that particular vein because no. there was only one way out and it didn't go well um, okay I just yeah. kind of struck me as like we've talked about this very very thing you know this very similar concept before yeah
1: it it definitely happens a lot um, it's a Star Wars staple which I'm fine with I think it's kind of it's kind of a storytelling staple uh, i I don't yeah, want it.
2: yeah yeah it's 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 tropey um yeah i think there's one or two examples in the high republic as well yeah um, there's I
1: definitely something it's gotta be elzar. elzar man let's yeah
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh definitely, well,
1: elzar definitely elzar man are we are
2: we allowed to talk about the new book yet
1: not not yet, God, not yet. i know oh, i know i know you'll make it you'll be okay
2: <sighs> um
1: so speaking of the world between worlds um, i'm gonna go to my butt number two, which is not the world between worlds itself oh, but it's wow. the, it's it's the awkward transition after the world between worlds like I love what we got in World Between Worlds. You can go back and listen to that episode and hear me battle Drew and DeVore for an hour <laughs> and a half. <laughs> like, I I love getting Ahsoka the White back and everything like that. But then you get this scene in episode six where her and Hu Yang are talking in the ship and she starts acting like she did before. And I know I talked about this uh, when we talked about episode six, but this is really stuck to me. It, it just really... <sighs> This is a renewed Ahsoka that's then acting like the old Ahsoka again, and it just Mm -hmm. causes clunkiness in her arc, and it feels like that scene was almost filmed before the World Between Worlds stuff, or Uh, like Ahsoka didn't, or excuse me, Rosario wasn't quite clear on the changes that had happened to Ahsoka when that episode was filmed, because... Then you go after that scene, you know, you go to the stuff on Peridia, and she's like the Ahsoka we see at the end of Five when she comes out of the World Between Worlds. So you just have this one awkward scene where she's just like she was before her whole rebirth. And I get that not everything in storytelling is linear and stuff, but there are certain things that need to be, you know, like you're not going to like quit your job and then just, yeah, I'll go back and work it for a day while before I, you know, go to the next day at my new job. It's just, it doesn't make sense to have that conversation the way that it's laid out there. I, 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 think you could have a reflective Ahsoka. I don't think you have to have happy go lucky, you know, laughing Ahsoka or anything like that the whole time. But I think, like, the, the Ahsoka that we got more closer to the end where she, you know, especially like that scene with uh, the Force ghost where she's just kind of looking on there and is reflecting or the scene on top of the ship, that kind of vibe would have fit a lot better in that particular moment. And so I feel like it just kind of it was a big letdown starting episode six with that after being on such a high in episode five. And I don't feel like they fully re-earned going back to this new Ahsoka. Does that make sense? Like, it never quite yeah. got back to the same level of what the end of Episode 5 was.
2: Yeah, I, I, I hadn't even really clocked that. Especially the way you said um, that uh, it didn't seem like it was maybe filmed and in in, in edited in order. And that makes pretty good sense. Yeah, So...
1: All right, that's good. That's good. That takes us to our our top, butt, our biggest butt uh, that we cannot lie about. So Devor, uh, what is the
0: thing about Ahsoka that drives you crazy? All right, so I think the my number one button and again, this, it's about connecting Ahsoka, you know, within the larger constellation of where it sits is the lost promise of the Mandovers Gosh. by which I mean. So back in our episode last year when we talked about, you know, the best year in Disney Star Wars and we talked about 2019 and we talked about the Mandalorian and we talked about what a huge cultural juggernaut and phenomenon that first season was. And a lot of that came from, I mean, a big part of it was, of course, you know, the the cuteness of Grogu and the way that, you know, a whole culture kind of, uh, you know, emerged around him. But I think there was also it was, you know, it was the first live action Disney Plus show, you know, it had that quality. But then there was also this sense of like freshness and, you know, breaking into new territory here, right? With seeing a type of character and planets and a side of the galaxy that we hadn't really seen. And the Star Wars really blazing a, a trail in a way that People could kind of hop on very organically, very easily without needing to necessarily have like a lot of context with a larger universe. And I think that's a big part of why it became such a big cultural phenomenon is because it had that really big, wide appeal. And it feels like with every installation that has come, so going from season one to season two, then into Book of Boba Fett, then into season three, and now with Ahsoka, it has steadily given away that advantage in favor of self-referential insularity, where each installment that we get, to really get the impact of the story, you need to have deeper and deeper understandings of the lore. So, like, you mm-hmm. get a little bit with, with you know, Bo and Ahsoka popping up in season two, but it's still, like, mostly okay. Like, you can still get back. Then, you know, you get to... Book of Boba Fett and you get the Cad Bane confrontation, a confrontation that you cannot understand, not only if you haven't watched the Clone Wars, if you haven't watched unaired animatics from the Clone Wars (laughs) to understand that confrontation, like deep, deep cut to understand what's happening there. And then you get into season three where like it's doing a lot of stuff with, you know, I think a lot of the story around Bo reclaiming her mantle and the fate of the dark saber and the teasing of Thrawn, I think, again, if you don't have the Clone Wars Rebels context, like you're not really getting the punch of what's going on there. And then especially so, you know, hitting the Zenith with Ahsoka, where I think, you know if you are you know if you are coming into this show without the context of clone wars and rebels i really don't think that there's a lot for you to chew on here if this show makes a lot of assumptions about these relationships and about the threat of thron that is going to completely you know go over you and you know we've talked about you know brandon already brought up you know the marvel model and was talking about the sort of the similarities. And I think that like this is an interesting time for Star Wars to go in this endeavor of these kind of interconnected, overlapping stories, where again, like you need to have this like steadily deep lore to, you know, to, to really follow along and really get the you know the, the punch and the weight of what's happening. It's an interesting moment for them to be doing it now because if you look at, you know, if you go across the street to Marvel, it, the issues that Marvel's having, there's like a whole bunch of different things, and some of them are very Marvel specific. But, like, one of the things I think that Marvel has discovered, particularly in this like post endgame Disney plus period, is that there is kind of a ceiling of tolerance within audiences for this kind of storytelling. That I think the kind of the, the, that particular model of like, you know, Overlapping storytelling, which I want to distinguish from just like mere like sequential storytelling, i.e., like a story with a bunch of sequels. I think the the Marvel model and then the Manoverse model are kind of like a kind of cousin to that. Hmm. That I, I think the appetite for that isn't quite there anymore. It doesn't quite have the kind of cultural cachet. I think one thing that Marvel has particularly discovered is that. When you do this kind of storytelling, on the one hand, it can be an invitation to get people to, you know, explore other things. You know, somebody may watch Ahsoka not having seen Clone Wars or Rebels and be like, I want to know more about these characters and where they come from and then might dive in. That can happen, definitely. But again, I think the, the Marvel moral of light is that leaning into that kind of storytelling can also be a recipe for apathy and disengagement. That actually, that some, the reaction of some people can be, I'm so lost, and I'm confused, and I don't really know what's going on, and I'm not really getting why this is important, so this is not really for me, and I'm going to go watch something else. That is an, a risk that you are taking with that kind of storytelling. So, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying for my number one butt. Like, if, if they were doing The Mandiverse like 10 years ago, I don't think I would have this good. Like if we were in 2013 – and, you know, we were just coming off the first Avengers movie and Marvel was riding high. I would be saying that I would probably be saying, you know, you know, Lucasfilm is smartly leaning into like what audiences are interested in right now and what's a kind of ascendant mode of storytelling. I think in 2023, I don't know that the market signals are the same. I think if you look at some of the difficulties Marvel's having, if you're looking the like the total implosion of dc i I think this is an odd time to lean into this like the storytelling where like you have to follow every single bit and piece and you have to like go back to other things and you have to kind of import you know meaning and significance and importance into whatever you're watching right now
2: yep gonna have to change my notes again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) sorry drew I'm you just five minutes earlier.
1: <laughs> I think you're you're definitely right. The the novelty of it has worn off. Um I think the Book of Boba Fett stuff you can get just from the the show itself. Uh but I don't think you necessarily can in Ahsoka. Uh I mean I think I think you can understand oh Thrawn is the big threat and these characters knew each other and like you can get the things that they say and accept those are realities right but there's a difference between knowing about something and caring about something and I deeply care about these characters and so and and before I know you do too uh yeah but for for me personally, this show really hit because I had those connections to the characters because of uh, just what the stuff in the world between worlds, you know, did for my understanding of and acceptance of the live action Aso- version of Ahsoka and stuff like that. Like, but that's a very unique position uh that I am not the, the norm in that regard and so while I want to be fed yes I feel fed by Mandalorian season 1 and I feel fed by you know even Obi-Wan which you know wasn't connected to the other stories and you know really as long as you had seen the movies you were okay which I think I think it's okay to say hey if you've seen the main nine movies you're going to yeah. understand the show is okay yeah, yeah. but to say if you've un- if you've watched the nine movies and also the 11 seasons of TV and oh, you it, yeah. like you're yeah. starting to, even for me, it becomes a lot of like, okay, what are all the connections and, and stuff like that? So
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah Brandon, can I off a point that you made? Cause I think it's a really important one about you made that distinction between about knowing and caring. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important because like, I think a thing that we often do, like particularly again, with like the Mandover side of things that you'll see online. And again, it, it like, it frustrates me that we do It's like, you will get people asking questions talking about like, well, can casual audiences follow along? That should not be the metric for good storytelling. Yeah. That is just the metric for storytelling. A to B to C. <laughs> that distinguishes stories from streams of consciousness. Like, it's really that caring bit. It's like, are you invested? That's the metric of a good story. Not, can you follow along? Yeah. That, that is the lowest possible bar for any story.
2: Yeah, and I want to tag on to, Brandon, again, what you were talking about is you were already primed as a fan of these characters, and this was more of that, which is mm-hmm. fine. And it kept and 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 Devorah is maybe not as a devote devoted follower of the life and times of Ahsoka Tano, but still a fan. And I can I know who she is at least. Um, and it, it and it hit us in those varying degrees, and I think the, the level that of our association with them prior to the show definitely played a role in that right as opposed to something like visions which was fresh and new although i was more akin to what they were doing with it just because i've grown up in that kind of a world but had no connection to anything that they were actually doing i think it's the difference between like to me that connection that you have there from like um, Clone Wars to Rebels to Ahsoka is the very definition of fan service not mm. the kind of way it gets thrown around Casually as in an insulting way, but literally the story of Ahsoka is to service this particular audience And there's nothing wrong with doing that if that's your goal If your goal is to say hey, let's take the guys who grew up on Clone Wars Really learn something in Rebels. Let's give them something now for where they are in life That's a perfectly reasonable goal and purpose behind a storytelling device like this. On board with that. It's not gonna be for everyone. And if your goal is to make a show like this for everyone, the more you tie it into that fan servicing aspect, you are losing the rest of us. Again, if your goal is the first thing, that's okay. But I don't feel like these things are intended to be that exclusively. There, I believe from the way in which these things are designed and marketed, it's intended to continue to draw new people in. And to Davor's point, the sheer volume of homework that you would have to do to get a complete understanding of what these guys are trying to do in this show is more than I think the average viewer would be willing to put in. And the reason I know that is because I'm not willing to put in <laughs> And I knew we were gonna be talking about this show every two weeks for eight weeks in a row, and we're still here. Um, so that's kind of like, that's that's the, that's the issue There is like, I don't know that their goals are aligned with what they're actually trying to do. And maybe that's just an issue of, we don't have that explanation as much. Maybe we're missing a little bit more. And maybe that's something like, I saw that there's a, the, the gallery episode is up. Is that right? Master and Apprentice, I think. Mm, that was uh, one was of that the, just about one of the episodes. That's
1: just a short about the uh, Ahsoka Anakin Thing
2: oh Okay, maybe yeah. I should actually watch one of these things So I think maybe if we had a little bit more context and I really wish the show itself would provide enough information to get To allow us to draw these kinds of conclusions successfully But I'll take some kind of extracurricular at this point to try and get a, a better understanding of what the overall goal was because like DeVore was saying, if all you're doing is looking to the future, you are tripping over today. Mm-hmm. And that's going to lose more people than the future's gonna bring in.
1: Well, I think that kind of leads into my number one because I didn't I, even get to my number one, but that's okay. No, 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 I know. I wanna circle i am I'm gonna circle back to you, but oh, okay, okay. since since we're already in this conversation, like I think there were not enough episodes of the show. Um Correct. because like it's
2: so wild, but okay. Short. Sure, go with it. Tell me no, why you wanted more of this. I think if you had more
1: time, you could build in. You could have episodes that happen. You know, you could do an arc before that. You know, is an overview. This is not like I'm. I'm not a writer, so you know, show writer. So this obviously isn't going to be perfect, (laughs) but you have an overview that sets more of the ground for Sabina and Ahsoka, or you can integrate that in and you have a, an a plot and a B plot and you have the the main storyline and then you have the, you know, flashback storyline, or there's so many, it, it would have just opened up more opportunities to fill in those gaps for people who didn't do the homework, if you will. Uh, and and so I think that that would have been a more effective approach to it. And I think this is I've been watching Loki season two. I, I don't know if you guys oh, are watching it. I'm so it.
2: sorry. <laughs> oh, I no. have been, yeah. Oh I watched the first episode, I was like, this is not for me. Nope. You guys enjoy it. Let me know how goes. It's it's honestly
1: to me, it's the best thing going right now. Like it might be second to Andor, it might be the best uh Disney Plus show, maybe season one of Mandalorian. Really? it's so insanely good, and okay. E, I mean, even season one was this way, and all of the episodes are forty five minutes in length. Like I, mm-hmm. I have finally crossed the the picket line of uh, you know, we can have these episodes be varying degrees of length. Like I, I think the forty five minute episode is tried and true and it's worked for years for a reason. It allows the episodes to breathe. It gives you more time to build characters. It gives you time to, you know, do things like a flashback or uh, you know, a training montage or whatever kind of different things you you could do in a story like this to provide your audience with more background. Because even I as someone who has watched it all and loves it all and knows these characters I got frustrated by the fact that we were just being told what happened between Sabine and Ahsoka. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. not the same as Force Awakens where you go, okay, like literally all that's really happened between the big three is something with Ben Solo broke them apart. We're going to see that over the rest of the trilogy. It's like, I, I honestly don't think we're ever going to see the Sabine and Ahsoka before this stuff. Like I, yeah, <sighs> And that that drives me bonkers. So I think if if you had twelve episodes, ten episodes, twelve episodes, forty five minutes of length, you you have an opportunity to solve a lot of these problems that we're talking about.
2: I have the opposite reaction to that completely. These should have been fifteen minutes shorter each of them. Um, they're it, and my my number one thing that I point to to, to say that is, is the fifth episode because I made a note of this when I watched it the first time. This is the that Shadow Warrior episode so right after the end of episode four where Ahsoka blinks her eyes and she's in the world between worlds the next episode kicks off there are seven establishing shots before you get to any character at all. Before you get to anything that happens, you get seven different shots, which all are varying lengths of time from just a couple seconds to more than just a couple seconds to establish what planet they're on, what the environment looks like, crashing waves against rocks, and all these different things. And while I understand kind of like mood setting, I I get that. You're talking about the fifth episode in an eight episode show. And you just dropped the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers in the show. And now you're just going to sit back and reestablish where we are. And then we're not even going to be there for a while. There's so much fat in these things. Dave Filoni can't write a 45 minute episode. He can write a 22 minute episode and not like an, it, maybe an 18 minute episode. If we're accounting for American television uh, half hour context, that's fine let him do that. Stop giving him 45 minute episodes. There, there's just nothing going on. It drives me absolutely insane. Like, think about the first episode, which is like 58 minutes long, and how much of it is Ahsoka looking at a, a sphere map, <laughs> trying to figure out how to turn it on, and it takes her a good three to four minutes to go, what if I turn the top half one way and the bottom half the other way? stop you're driving me insane okay and the other thing that drives me nuts about this is there's nobody out here saying you have to make an eight up like there's no there, there there are no commercial breaks there are no uh 23 weeks of seasons to fill. There's no airtime that you have to fill. There are no sponsors by which you have to, to please and make sure you get the proper amount of time in between. You're not crafting these things to fit anybody's schedule. It's a freaking on demand platform. It's the whole point of the thing. Why are you sticking to the same kinds of formula? These could be an hour and a half long if they needed to be. They could be five hours long. Because guess what? You can pause it and come back to it whenever you want. What are we doing? I am bum-fuzzled by the the way in which they have structured these things from a a seconds and minutes uh, approach. Absolutely. I changed my mind. That's what's most frustrating about this show. (laughs) What's going on? I was going to talk about the dialogue, but no, I've changed my mind because now you've made me upset, Brandon. You want more of this.
1: Unbelievable. I'm I'm standing by it. I'm standing by it.
2: Okay. Enjoy it. Have fun. You know what else bothers me about this dumb show from time to time? When it says skip intro at the very beginning, the intro is seven seconds. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it it does
0: the same for the rebels. Why? Which is like straight up four seconds long.
2: That's what I'm talking like. Come on this is an easy like if there was like you know a theme song and credits and you know a title screen and you know 75 second clip of of, of different stuff at the very beginning that's one thing if you want to skip the previously on moment sure go for it but you're talking about four or five characters helmets changing colors and then a slow fade in of the word star and the word wars and that's it who why what why why is that a thing Why are we, who's, who is that for? What does that serve? Who goes, oh yes, I've watched four and a half minutes of preview of what happened in the last episode, but these seven seconds can't take it. Go forward. (laughs) Golly. I was really going to talk about dialogue. (laughs) You completely derailed. (laughs) Oh man. It's been a while since Drew got this hot about something. I love it. It just stupid stuff like that bothers me to no end. Never mind the the actual dialogue. I need her to be exactly what she is. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) We're right where we need to be. Well, okay, great. What's that supposed to mean? Yeah. Your ambition drives you in one direction. My path lies in another. She works for you. (laughs) What are you talking about? You pay her salary. You tell her what to do. What ambition does she have in this show? We don't have time. (sighs) There are positive things to talk about in this show, I think. Let's get into the, to the best. Uh, Devor, what do you love about Ahsoka?
0: All right. My number two best is going to go to one of the surprises of the show for me. Uh, one of the more standout characters who they weren't on the, in the show a lot. They didn't get a lot of screen time. But I think when they were there, it was very effective. And that was one Jason Cindula. Yes! I I really like the way he was used in the show. I think particularly, you know, Brandon, you and I talked about this when we were doing our season four recap of Rebels about how we hoped that the show was going to do something with Jason and kind of turn him away from just being this meme and this punching bag. And I think it really did that. I think the moments with him are very effective when we first get him and, you know, he's with Hera on the Rebel ship and they're talking about, like, how he wants to be a Jedi one day. And then especially... The moment in Seatoes when he is hearing the lightsabers... Happening, and he is, you know, say, you know, saying to Hera, like, "Can't you hear it? Like, stand here, listen. Like, that, like that moment, that moment in particular, that second one I'm talking about, like that, for me, really captured some of that Dave Filoni magic that, for me, was missing from so much of the rest of the show. I really felt like, oh, like that's it. Like, that's the stuff that, like, it's it's those little moments that like make Rebels great mm-hmm. or make Clone Wars great. So yeah, I think he was, you know, he's kind of in that. Uh, I, th- I think Jason in the show is sort of in that like. game or so bucket of like he's not on the screen a lot but when he is it's really good he's used mm-hmm. very well so that's why I'm giving my number two best to Jason Sandula I, I can't argue that I think he's
1: absolutely fantastic I think uh, I loved how they used him as an avenue to pay homage to Kanan you know mm-hmm. um, that is to me that's fan service done right um, yeah. because you and I, Devore, you know, as huge. Uh, well, and, and Drew, you like Canon too. Like he, he was yep. one of your standouts in in Rebels. Like that's us being able to say, like, yeah, we were heard, and it, it's just everything works uh, about Jason. I love the relationship that he and Hera have in the show. Um, she, you know, she clearly trusts him, but also, you know, is is not just. An absentee mother, which is something we had talked about kind of being a concern with uh you know, we've we've gotten content with Hera, and it's like, oh yeah, Jason is off here and Jason is off there. So it was nice to see see Jason in the show. And that kind of leads into my number two, because I think the casting of Jason is perfect, and I think the casting mm-hmm. of, of everybody in the show is absolutely perfect. Um I mean Ray Stevenson as Balin. Everybody, yes. I stand by what I said. Um, I think Ray Stevenson as Balin, obviously, fantastic. Um, I've really come to enjoy uh, Rosario as Ahsoka. She's never going to be Ashley. She's never going to be the animated Ahsoka. That's just a different level for me. Um, But I do, I I really enjoy what she's doing with the character. Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Hera. Uh, I mean, it's just, the fact that you can see uh, in these characters that that all of these people care about the characters, you know, you can we can definitely argue about the the execution of things, but I would find it hard to argue that the people making the show didn't care about the characters they're they're playing. Um, you know, Lars Mickelson as as Thrawn just is haunting like I've actually come to like Thrawn a little bit more which is a big statement Oh, that's a big feat yeah yeah like (laughs) like it it, it was his stuff was great like I I just I really appreciated the the care and and passion you can see that all of these uh, actors especially the ones that are taking animation into live action and have to do this homework, you know, have to understand these characters in order to advance them forward, you can tell that they did what they, they needed to do to make sure that that was, was as organic as possible uh, given, given the material.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's a good cast, and I I, I don't think you mentioned him, but as Fandi as Ezra. Oh. I think amazing. So like, he like, is so good. Like that scene in um, I'm blanking, but it's like the penultimate episode where they're fighting and Shin shows up and he's like, wait, 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 like can you take us prisoner? Like, like I, oh yeah, he's like, can we talk? <laughs> yeah, it's like leaping off of the animated you know yeah. screen into live action. Like so good. Yeah, from
1: the first moment he was on screen, I was like, yep, that's Ezra, a hundred percent. There was no, no, uh, need to, to make a transition. And I felt that way with Hera. Like I felt that way with Sabine, um, really all of these, these animated characters bringing being brought to live action, I think just really worked, worked well. Um, and you know, you have to look at for the actors, you know, you have to look at, okay, how did they do in relationship to what was on the page and what the, directors asked them to do and I I don't think we should you know knock the the actors for some of the problems with the writing and stuff and so yeah they they did a fantastic fantastic job and I think if you had this cast with an Andor level script we would be having just a completely different conversation uh, because of how well they executed on on what was was given to them yeah, I agree. All right. So Drew, that takes us to, to you. And now you have to say positive
2: things about Ahsoka. Well, hang on to your hats. Cause it's not just about Ahsoka, but it's about the world between worlds.
1: What? He's oh. saying something positive about, why do this I feel bigger like shocked and Brandon liking Thrawn? <laughs> I, yeah. Why do I feel well, like he's got like a loophole that his... he's about to exploit, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> oh, it's like, you know me so well. Um, You may remember certain certain members of this of this group of ours right here uh, were exceedingly down on when the world between worlds was first uh, before our eyes in the fourth episode saying this could make or break the show. And I'm pleased to report it did not break the show. Correct. Uh, So my number two best is the the way in which they actually used it as a mechanism by which to teach Ahsoka an outstanding lesson. And I thought it was an interesting device that they could use, and w- with enough enough restraint where they didn't use it for anything completely wackadoo, like time travel, or going back to yeah. witnessing uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan's fight on Malastare. Or not Malastare, <laughs> Mustafa. <laughs> can't believe I got those two names mixed up again. Um, but the way I, I liked that kind of method that they used because you could feel the weight in each of the characters and what they were doing was very purposeful. And it really kind of, you, you could really analyze it line by line and scene by scene in order to say, okay, I know they're trying to teach Ahsoka something. What are they trying to, like what are they saying versus what's being left unsaid? You know, what what is she saying that's wrong? Um, What mistakes are is she making right now, and can I catch them before the show tells me what they are? So I I kind of enjoy that. It's not. There's still some troubling implications in there. I'm not wild about the like. I had originally kind of when we watched the fifth episode. I originally thought this was more of like this is all happening in Ahsoka's head, and she's kind of going on this spiritual journey of you know you know she's able to very it's a wonderful life kind of thing she's mm-hmm. able to see what would happen mm-hmm. you know if if she had jumped off the bridge kind of thing um but it seems to be a much more literal event that's occurring and what troubles me is if that's truly the spirit of anakin skywalker his application of the image of darth vader is troubling yes like, yes 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 I, I'm concerned about. Does that mean Anakin's tapping into the dark side? Is he, or is he masking his appearance? W- or it, I, I don't think that it is a common or terribly successful tool to say to somebody, "Do you remember the monster I used to be? Let me show you the monster I used to be." Uh, it just, just it's a little unsettling to think about the more literal implication. Of what's going on in some of the sequences like you think to like where he snap, he's like stalking towards her and with kind of like the lightning strikes you see the the Vader silhouette in the in the smoke there and mm-hmm. you have the moments where his eyes turn to the orange and yellow it's like okay what's actually happening in that moment And why is it happening and who is making it happen? It's kind of why I feel like it's a better interpretation to say this is happening in Ahsoka's head because she sees that in Anakin. Yeah. Where she sees he became the monster and that's what she is afraid of for herself. She's afraid of saying... Saying if I am this, if Anakin is the sum of all the teachers before him, and I am the sum of all the teachers before me, that includes the evil of Anakin Skywalker, right? The same failure, same weakness runs in her veins ish, you know, sort of Aragorn a little bit, but um, but that's not kind of what we really ex- come to understand. If it's a more literal, it's if it's a, a less of a metaphysical interpretation and actually she was transported to a different planar existence, then the dark side implications are not cool. But ultimately the use of that as a tool in that of teaching her this new lesson to say, no, you are more than the sum of the masters who came before you and you have the ability to still make decisions for yourself without succumbing to the dark side like your actual master did like i think that's an interesting way to use that and again the restraint to not do anything entirely crazy um and way outside the bounds of what we would i think readily accept this was a much more palatable way to use it and i'm i was very uh surprised at how much i actually did enjoy that part of it yeah i mean
1: it the world between worlds is one of those things that like, even as a fan of it, that it's you have to have a lot of restraint in using it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, hope, I, re- I really hope we don't see it, like, much, if ever, again. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I can't disagree. I think the only person that should be allowed to use it is Um uh, <laughs> Just because I feel like if you open that floodgate, it, there is no closing it. You know, it's kind of like Bendu says, once something is known, it can't be unknown. And, like, once you let one person use the World Between Worlds, who's going to use it for something wackadoo, you know, then all of a sudden we have time travel in Star Wars, which I'm pretty sure none of us want. Don't. No, um, no, um,
2: no. Let's not do like, that, please.
1: Let's let's not forget the point of the original lesson in the World Between Worlds. But I, I obviously really enjoyed it. I, I thought, again, going back to the casting, that the casting of young Ahsoka was is fantastic. Um I still hold, and I know, Drew, you and I kind of disagree on this, that that it's kind of a combination of, of In Her Head and Another Plan of Existence. Uh, but I think that's part of what makes this one fun is there are different interpretations of it. Um, you, you, can, you, you put your own schema onto what you're seeing on screen all the time, but when you have something that is kind of... Uh, a spiritual journey more than anything else, you know, you, you obviously put more of yourself into understanding that than you would, uh, just a regular battle scene. So you're
2: probably right about that. It probably reveals more about me than it does anything else. But I think,
1: I mean, it, that's not just you. I think that's, that's everybody, you know, like I, I've talked to a lot of different people, uh, online in person, you know, about what that's, what they understood about that scene and or, or even the lesson overall of the world between worlds and everybody's got a little bit of a different spin on it and I think that that you know it, it, it comes down to that's what Filoni was trying to do there you know like you you get out of it what you put into it and so that's kind of what True. the world between worlds is and yeah. uh, so I think it, it works in that way Uh, All right, so that brings us to our number ones and Devor, I'm going to send it back to you. What was the best thing about Ahsoka in your opinion?
0: So my number one best is I really love Thrawn's remnant. I think, you know, I mean, first like on an aesthetic level like that establishing shot when the Chimera first shows up and you know, it it, it looms there like it comes in almost kind of like a ghost ship. You know, it's like this, mm-hmm. this thing that's like broken apart. It's like, you know, like when I first watched that episode, like it evoked a little, like, I started thinking of like the Black Pearl and Pirates of the Caribbean, like this like the, yeah. this, like the ship of the dead that's just kind of coming out there and it's falling apart. And then you see all of the, the stormtroopers and stuff, you know, doing a little like the Kintsugi thing where they have all the little like gold lining in their armor and the like the 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 red wrappings from the uh, from the Night Sisters. Like, all that whole aesthetic, like, all that, like, the gold stuff. And then even into, you know, like, this alliance that he struck with, you know, these great mothers that I think is, like, I think is something that's, like, really interesting. And I'm curious to see, you know, where that involves. Because you definitely, or at least I do, like, you get the sense that, like, there is an ulterior motive here. Like, if you think about it for, like, not that long, you realize that, like... They like the great mothers, they get a pretty good deal out of this, all things considered, you know, they they get free steerage back to, you know, the galaxy (laughs) prime for like, you know, reviving some cannon fodder, like, you know, like saying some spells like that's pretty great, you know, Uh, so like. It, there is a question of, like, what is, like, do they have an ulterior motive here? How long are they really going to be by Thrawn's side? And, how like, to what extent are they just using him for their own ends? Because if you think about the fact of, like, well, the Sisters themselves had this prior alliance with, you know, the Sith, Insidious. And look where that got them. Like, is this, you know, is this, has this been a long con to get their revenge so i think yeah everything from just like the look and the feel you know the way that it evokes like even that that introductory scene with thrawn where they're all chanting his name like you get the sense of like in this decade of of exile it's like everyone's either a zombie or they're feral, like, you know, <laughs> everyone's gone, you know, like, and so like all of that, the look, the feel, again, this kind of blend, like Brandon, you were talking about this a little bit in the last recap episode of like the marriage of the machine with the mysticism. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. I like, I, I love all of that. I think it's all really cool. And we have to
1: talk about the music there. Like, yes, it is. I'm not sure if you guys have listened to the soundtracks just on their own, but, like, that... I mean, it's haunting in the show, but to have that come on just, you know, as you're going throughout your day and just, like, this Thrawn thing comes on, it, it like, causes a reaction in your body. Like, you become more stressed. But in, like, the show, it works so well. And you feel that, you know, it is... It's funny cuz you know the the second uh uh volume of the soundtrack where that's on came out, you know, around Halloween time, you know, and it felt like a very Halloween kind of of vibe, a very spooky vibe. And uh Kevin Kiner, he did a fantastic job in in the entire show, but that is probably to me that's up there with his uh uh the violin in in rebels when zeb's going to, through the yeah uh what's it called what is it called before they get to new lyrics on
0: the, yeah it's, it's like not the, the nebula Maul, but
1: yeah but either way um that moment there like there's the the end of uh, of clone wars like there's just these certain moments where he's just in peak form and i think that that was was one of those moments and that really helped bring that that scene together so yeah that's fantastic uh, Drew, do you want to do your number one or do you want me to go ahead and do mine?
2: No, I can do mine. We touched on it briefly, but not enough for me to discount it. Um, I think Ezra Bridger is my favorite part of the show. Mm. I think he brought a... The character was great, the actor was great, brought a lot of great levity. Um, but one yeah. of the things that I appreciated the most about it is the way he's a contrast to Sabine in uh, against Ahsoka as kind of the this is the person who really trusts in the force like like nothing i've ever seen like he doesn't need a lightsaber to go into battle he's confident that the force is his ally and he's able to stand against the forces of Thrawn uh without the key signature thing that makes a a jedi distinguishable from a hundred miles away so it was great to see him be so engaged and he's he felt so alive which is 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 fascinating to consider like how far removed he is from the rest of his actual life like he still considers galaxy prime his home he says let's go home he wants to get out of where he is and yet he still has this um vibrancy to him that the rest of the show could have used a little bit more of but maybe it's that comparison between them all that really makes him stand out in such a way um i was i was really kind of surprised it was was definitely a question at the beginning was how are they going to land this one and i think they did uh, this one pretty dang well i was very happy with it um i i I hope that whatever we get next is going to focus on his journeys um more like if i could green light somebody else's next story it would be his out of this show
1: yeah, I mean, he he feels like Ezra right right away. Uh, yeah. The look, the voice, the, everything is perfect. But I do really like how he contrasts with Sabine, you know, because Sabine has been in the Prime Galaxy and has been around the people that she cares about and loves and is kind of jaded by it all and has kind of, in in a lot of ways, lost hope and optimism because of her experiences there and uh you know in in contrast you have ezra who who's wanting to be there and should be down and is more up you know and more optimistic and uh, i think that's part of you know his faith in the force uh but also just you know the he didn't lose sight of the lessons that he learned from from canaan and Hera. and i feel like sabine kind of not completely did, but definitely did some um, through, you know, the loss of her family and the breaking of the relationship with Ahsoka and, you know, all that stuff we didn't see. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and the... the just the everything. I mean, that that final scene with Ezra when he takes the helmet off and's like, hi, hair, I'm home. If you look in his eyes, like, you could just see the four years of Rebels, like, in his eyes. Yeah. It's absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, he
2: definitely was the one who kind of, like, really brought all that home. Like, it was nice to have Hera. It was great to have Sabine, but having him was kind of like what it felt really like it sewed everything together. Like, that had been the goal for all of these characters to actually have that as a positive resolution instead of you know i think we kind of theorized that before the end of the show he would probably die on that planet
1: i thought so yeah i was yeah. Yeah. it
2: seemed like a fairly logical conclusion um, but they didn't want to go that way and that's i think that was a smart decision it was it was definitely for a show that could have used a lot more payoffs that was probably the best one we got
1: and i said you know when bringing up the the thought that i i was uh, I, I, very certain that he was going to die i was like i hope i'm wrong on this one and yeah,
2: you were pretty gung-ho that, like, oh, this is it. <laughs> I
1: I really thought all signs pointed to it. And, I, I mean, I'm very glad that, that they didn't. Uh, I'm excited to see what they do with him going forward, you know. Um, I know... Feloni talked about this w- when Rebels originally came out about, you know, his name is Ezra Bridger because he's a bridge between, you know, this this prequel era and this original trilogy era. And it'll be interesting to see if he also becomes kind of a bridge between uh, the the original trilogy era and the the sequel trilogy era and, and what his role is as a Jedi in the galaxy when you have, uh, you know, a kylo ren out there when you are not necessarily kylo ren ben solo at the time but and you have a luke skywalker starting to train jedi and stuff um i i know i was kind of very apprehensive about how do you pull this off but the the actor what, what i'm forgetting his name Devor, can you help iman isfandi yes i think i'm pronouncing that right yes uh he is just absolutely amazing and he's taken me through his portrayal from i don't know if we can make this work to if it's written right the actor can do it he can pull it off he can make you believe it and uh, that's kind of the biggest change that he he created for me as a as a viewer so all right uh to wrap it up um I'm going to kind of sound like a little bit of a hypocrite based on what we talked about earlier in the show, but I really like the, the use and development of the lore throughout the show and the bringing in of so many things that we had seen in other stories. Um, I, I, it's a, you know, double edged sword kind of situation. I do feel like it alienates some people, but I also do feel like that the way that they used it, they were really effective with it. I liked how they utilize the pergil, which is something that's not easy to pull off, you know, getting getting you to believe in space whales in an animated show is hard enough <laughs> getting you to believe about it in a live action and believe that they're really there in existence is a whole another thing. Uh, we talked about the world between worlds uh, and everything I loved in there. But the night sisters that that was an unexpected uh pull that i think makes total sense the zombie troopers is another pull that i think makes absolute sense and is really compelling about where we could go with these because you know what do you do when you not only have endless cannon fodder but you have endless cannon fodder that you can continue to revive you know it's like the uh it's it's the droid army, but even worse. Um, and and I think the the biggest thing uh, is is Mortis at the end is exciting going forward. And I, and I really like that we got to uh, the the Force being in everyone. Um, I I don't necessarily love Sabine having the Force to the extent she does by the end of the the uh, series, but I do like that we kind of put it to rest that everybody has the force. Everybody's connected to the force and, and c- it can in some way connect with it. But uh yeah, it just, it just really, really worked for me. I loved all of that stuff. And I, I feel like there was a lot of stuff they played with and tried to move forward that they could have really failed at and uh really, left a bad taste in my mouth uh as somebody who cares a lot about these things and they they really really didn't so i was happy with that so uh we want to know what you guys think uh what your best and butts for ahsoka are uh so make sure you you drop a comment on this episode uh go over to our facebook group and our twitter and our instagram and all of our socials which you can find at clashing sabers and let us know uh what you think there our our facebook group is a lot of fun we got a lot of great people in there uh, having really fun conversations. We're talking Ahsoka. We're talking uh, Return of the Jedi. Certain point of view. We're gonna be talking High Republic soon because High Republic is back. I'm, sh- I'm sure our next episode yes. where we're just gonna do full Star Warsing. Just, just talking about what we've been into uh, outside of Ahsoka is going to get into that discussion. So make sure you're subscribed uh, to the, the channel so you can get that and you can get all of the content that we are putting out all in one feed. And uh, Devor, if they want to keep up with you and the stuff you're doing both with Clashing Sabers and uh, outside of Clashing Sabers, where can they find you? All right, you can find me on X. Add a larger view oh, pod, really? You had to do that. You couldn't call it by its proper name.
0: And you can also listen to me on <laughs> on <laughs> space.
2: Just gonna ignore it go straight through. He's gonna power <laughs> through like the champ he is. You can also listen. To, you can also listen to me over on,
0: <laughs> We're just gonna talk <laughs> over <on a review> you
2: <laughs> the entire time. By the way,
0: <laughs> on Space Swifties, a Star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast. That I host with my wife, the one and only McDowell. Oh man, yeah, definitely go over there and and listen to that. Uh,
2: oh yeah, D- have you guys dropped the one about anything about 1989?
0: Uh, that is coming in December.
2: December, okay.
0: But today, when we're recording it, November third, Friday, there is the new episode. So go listen nice. to it.
1: Let's go download that now. Um, also, you guys should be very proud of me because we're doing a poetry unit next. And I'm using Mean. And I spent about an hour of my day uh, organizing a slideshow for the students to work on <laughs> and made sure that I had GIFs on every slide of Taylor, Taylor Swift background, everything. It was It's very Beautiful. detailed. I'm very nice. proud of myself. Nice. It might be my crowning achievement as an educator. So I just thought, wanted to let you know. Uh, Drew, if they want to, to keep up with you, uh, what's the best place to find you?
2: Best place is on that Facebook group that you mentioned already. Um, I'm usually there trying to engage in a little bit of conversation and, and taking all the heat for all the takes. <laughs> I, I, I have no problem owning what I said, but I do make sure that I clearly state I, have, I feel no obligation to hold to the same opinions I had last week. So they are ever a change in, as as they should be, as we continue to get so
1: much more Star Wars. And uh, <laughs> guys, if you want to reach us, in, you know, off off of social media, we also have our email, which is clashing sabers clashing sabers network at gmail.com. Got it in one. Uh, then <laughs> you can do that, and, and we can talk about it on the show. We've had uh, our friend Michelle actually way back in the beginning of this. this a show sent us a long email that uh, prompted a whole episode. So if you want to hear us talk about that stuff, get in contact with us because we want to talk about uh, it with you. That's what this is all about. And uh, we're happy that you have chosen to be a part of our community. Uh, And we kind of left this off of the butts, but um, really I think, like I like the zombie troopers and everything like that, but I think it would have been a lot better if Thrawn chose batch eight. Hi-ho. (laughs) Hi-ho. All right, we're done talking about Ahsoka, Drew. Are you happy? (sighs) Just (laughs) let it it exhale.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's all right. (laughs) I know that there are people who love it, and I'm happy for you guys.